When I speak of courageous police leadership, you can look no further than Lieutenant Bob Crow. And today, you're going to hear from a man that if you're into leadership and you want to be courageous, this is the guy to listen to. Welcome to Courageous Leadership with Travis Yates, where leaders find the insights, advice, and encouragement they need to lead courageously. Well, it is my pleasure to have retired Lieutenant Bob Crow on the show. And I want to sort of set this up for you, the listening audience, because you may or may not have heard of Bob Crow. But when I talk about what courageous police leadership is, the effects of that, sometimes the negative effects, if you do what's right, no matter what, I think Bob Crow is the poster child. When you One day when I'm dead and gone and you look in the encyclopedia under courageous leadership, the definition will have Bob Crow's picture on it. And it is, I'm just going to be a fanboy today. I am extremely excited to have Bob on the show. He's 32 years retired, Minneapolis PD, which is equal to about 160 years in your agency, 15 years on SWAT team, 25 years with his union, the Federation Board. Bob Crow, how are you doing, my man? Travis, what an introduction. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. I got, I got to say, that's the best uh, glowing introduction I've ever had in my life. So thank you. For well, that. man, listen, it's not uh, enough. Well. It's not enough, Bob. And we, we've known each other for many, many years. And I have always sort of just admired what you've done there in Minneapolis. This is long before the Minneapolis as we know it now. Like for many years, if people aren't aware of this, Minneapolis from the politics and the leadership has been absolutely horrific for law enforcement. And you were always the guy that stood there just trying to do the right thing. And uh, I just wanted to just, uh, you know, you've been retired for a few years now. Just kind of give me your thoughts after retirement as you look back on all that, kind of your thoughts on what you not only had to endure, but what you see for the future of Minneapolis. Well, first I want to thank you because in times of need, you ne never hesitated to reach out and offer your assistance uh, with warrior training and backup with one of those fiascos I had a, a couple of years before I retired. And uh, you've always been there. You, you wrote a wonderful book. Um, that everybody needs to read, the courageous police leader, and uh, thanks for thanks for being a comrade from of mine from down south. Um, this is uh, it's been a heck of a ride. I, I did 32 years. I retired. It was two years ago in January, and um, um, I'm, I'm glad to be gone. But you know what? The city of Minneapolis is in, is in a bad way right now. Uh, there was always around 900 cops on during my time with the department. Uh, the department has shrunk now to 500 and they're not even able to perform core services that's how bad it's gotten there with the lack of officers in the job uh with the way crime has uh spiraled out of control minneapolis is a bad place uh, they, and the, to put things in perspective um a few years before i retired the chief of police had asked the mayor and city council that he wanted to add 400 officers over a five-year period to bring the department up to about 1,300. And right now they're operating at 500. So that kind of sets the tone for how things are in the city of Minneapolis right now. Yeah, you know, I, I want to sort of give everybody the foundation and the backstory of, of why I admire you so much. And I'm just going to, obviously, long before George Floyd in 2020, the, the city and the police leadership sort of used you as a battering ram, right? So... Uh, the leadership 
at City Hall there is some of the most terrific leadership in the country, in the world, really. Uh, and that flows down the different agencies within the city, including the police department. So their upper leadership for many, many years has been really horrific. But instead of owning problems, because there's been plenty of problems in Minneapolis long before 2020, you know, you think of the Diamond incident when they accelerated training because they were so uh, caught up in trying to get more Somali officers there, which I'm fine with, but they certainly should go through the regular training as everybody else. So you, those are just a pl plenty of examples of really horrific leadership decisions that were made. And instead of owning those decisions or correcting those decisions, these leaders made a conscious decision to go, you know what, we need to blame Bob Crow because Bob Crow is the president of the union. Now, Bob Crow didn't make policy. Bob Crow does not develop training. Bob Crow does not do field training. Bob Crow does not hire officers. Bob Crow does not fire officers. In fact, Bob Crow has got nothing to do with the leadership echelon of the decisions made within the police department, but let's use Bob Crow as the excuse for why everything has gone wrong. And it was, I, I would describe this, Bob, and you may feel it differently, as they were kind of soft-pedaling doing this. And then, in 2020, George Floyd happens. And this is my take, Bob, so we're going to give you your take in a minute, but I'm going to give it because once I stop, I'm going to let you have this, is the policy, uh, when, when you watch a viral Facebook video, by the way, not the body camera video that they would not release, oddly enough. It got leaked by a foreign press is how it got leaked. And but when you watch that and you look at the evidence of trial, by the way, I recommend everybody to get the full backdrop of this is to buy the book by your wife, Liz Collin, called Their Line. Just go to Amazon, go anywhere. Really, really popular. But it, but my kids would say it has all the receipts. Right. Obviously, documentation, hundreds of sources. Everything I'm telling you about right now is in that book. It's not made up. There was a real policy. There was a real training that 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 told the officers to do exactly what they did. And so you have officers that followed training, followed policy. Of course, we know what happens. You've got an autopsy that said that there were no marks on the body. There was nothing done to his neck. There's, he, you know, he, he died from a, a, a high levels of fentanyl, methamphetamine, you name it. Most people are aware of that. So this happens. And the leadership within that police department, within that city, had two choices. They could look at this and say, you know what? We implemented this training. We implemented this policy. This is what the coroner happened to say. This is what the autopsy happened to say. They could have, they could have kind of, they could have communicated this in a way that there was not so much misunderstanding. And, and obviously, other things we talk about here at Courageous Police Leadership and our principles. They could have owned this. I'll make it more simple for you Jocko fans out there. They could have owned this, right? Or door B was let's blame Bob Crow. And they chose door B, Bob. And I want to sort of, sort of you set the stage for that and kind of explain to us how that went down and, of course, what you've had to endure since then. Well, and, and you're, you're kind of you're, you're spot on, Travis. And the thing here is what unbeknownst to me over the years, whenever we had critical incidents, um, I, I ran. I was on the board for, for 25 years. In my last six, I was president. When I ran for president, I said, I was always going to be accessible to the media, and I was going to stand up for our officers and hold press conferences if necessary and go over critical incidents. Now, there's a lot of agencies out there that are doing a much better job um, where they have officers involved in officer-involved shootings and things, and they will show the video, get it out there right away, highlight the actions of the suspect, what led the officers to their actions, and do a pretty good job of this. And, and they defuse a lot of things before they cause problems in the community. Well, 
in Minneapolis, they didn't do that. And it ended up being after critical incidents for years, it ended up me being holding the press conference and going, this is where the guy, the bad guy shoots at the officers. And this is why they did what they had to do. Um, it would have been much better in hindsight, having our African-American local Minneapolis chief of police, who's a native of Minneapolis, being in front of the cameras and laying out why officers took the actions that they did. But they utilized me for this all that time. All that time, I'm becoming a villain in the, in the eyes of the activists in the city of Minneapolis. The difference is that the police administration used to call me in and say, hey, at your press conference, say this. This is where the guy produces the gun. This is where the round hits near the officer's feet, these kinds of things. And I had an opportunity to prep with their coaching behind the scenes because they didn't have the intestinal fortitude to do it on their own. They had me do this. So after the, as the years go by with critical incidents and me doing this, when the George Floyd incident comes, all of a sudden it's a different, op, uh, uh, different SOP we're operating under, and they're not going to release anybody camera footage to us, the Federation, the officers involved, the officer's attorney. They lock everything down. And no one can see anything, which, as you know, led to the worst riots our country has ever seen. I mean, this was this is where the spark that started it all and it spread throughout all major cities throughout the country. Um, they destroy. I mean, there, there were fifteen hundred businesses lost in Minneapolis, a, a half a billion with a B dollars worth of damage to the city um, and, and businesses that never returned after they failed to. All of these riots, and the, and the media locally downplayed them as peaceful protests, um, after they failed and the city was torched and destroyed, they needed a scapegoat. A PR consultant volunteered their time and worked with city leadership, and basically the, the short story is why they tracked it back to me and targeted me was I had the audacity to meet President Trump at the time when he was running for re-election and be on stage with him at our at our Target Center in Minneapolis. Uh, and Donald Trump was the villain, so I was the easy scapegoat. If you remember, it was a it, it was a highly contentious political environment at that time. And if Donald Trump was bad and I supported him, I was bad. And that's where they came to lay this off on me in the end. Well, the backstory of that is one of the most hilarious things I've ever heard. I believe your mayor, who really, with his tight pants and, and glasses, should be leading a megachurch and not a city, he <laughs> banned he banned your police officers from wearing a uniform at the rally, yes. which is kind of dumb because that's a great security thing to do. And so, Bob, it was either you or somebody smart around you went, well, we'll make T-shirts up that basically say Minneapolis police for Trump, right? That, so, And you guys sold Correct. thousands and thousands of dollars of those shirts. You guys are wearing those shirts. And Trump, that caught the eye of, of President Trump, and he pulled you on stage. And I'm watching this rally, and all of a sudden I see my friend Bob Crow hanging out with Trump. And I actually said to myself in my head, that's not going to play well for my man Bob because that's going to just ignite all these complete insane people in Minneapolis and all over. But but you think that had something to do with it? I, I personally think they would. I personally think they were never going to own it. They were going to pick somebody to pick on anyway. So it may have come your way regardless, right? You were spot on. You you could not have been more correct in in that regard. That that's what it was. But you know the the city has been under democratic control. The, the, there's 13 city council members and a mayor. And they have, for, for half a, a decade, have in, enjoyed uh, being all Democrats on the city council. 
And back in the day, you know, they were for labor and police way back. And they enjoyed uh, us being in uniform and, uh, and putting us on their literature and stuff. And as years the years went by, uh, the Democrats started turning their backs on law enforcement, and we started giving our endorsement to Republicans. And when that came, then they said, well, guess what? We're going to we, – it used to be the Federation could wear their uniform and be in literature and campaign ads and things like that. That's when they said, well, we're going to change our policy because they enjoyed us being in – uh, in uniform around them when it was them what we that we were endorsing and when that changed they revoked the right to do that thus the and it was it was my idea and a buddy of mine we uh, uh, came up with he, he's a retired lieutenant also and has a, a t-shirt business and that's where we came up we actually drew it up on a bar napkin if you can believe that but the, they took off and it had uh, to have crashed your website right it was nuts it did it did <laughs> it was nuts. It got some national coverage, and it crashed. It did crash the website. But the nice part was we made a ton of money, and then we donated it back to programs that were near and dear to the hearts of the mayor and city council members. So they didn't know what to do after that, made their heads spin. Well, yeah, we're not dealing with rocket scientists here, and uh, we're going to get to that here in a second. And, and Bob, I don't want to soft play this. When they did this to you, I mean, your life was in serious danger. I mean, they were protesting, i.e. destroying things in front of your house. They came into your neighborhood. They terrorized your neighbors. They terrorized your kid. They they went after your wife, who had been a longtime, uh, I believe, uh, a media uh, news anchor there in Minneapolis. I mean, they, they, went, they, went, they went to destroy both of you. Uh, kind of talk yes. to us a little bit about that. It, it, it was canceled culture in full swing. And my wife uh, was a, a reporter, anchor, uh, she was a weekend anchor at the CBS affiliate here, WCCO, for years. Uh, she was in journalism for 20 years, and uh, she had find, bounced around the country uh, for a few years and finally made it back home to her dream job. And cancel culture was successful in having her having to leave that station. They protested her station. They protested my union office. They protested our own home three different times, one of them being major. Uh, there was a, a Democrat-endorsed House of Representatives candidate, House of Rep representatives candidate at the time, endorsed by the governor and all the uh, all the uh, Democrat leadership in the state that smashed pinata effigies of my wife and I in our driveway, and this guy kept the endorsement. But and that's what my wife's book gets into. The you know uh, they're lying, the media, the left, and the death of George Floyd. Uh, my wife ended up leaving her job, landed on her feet. I ended up retiring. Um, I didn't retire early. Rumors they, they pushed me out, but the reality of that is, is they had a protest scheduled for my my home on August 15th of 2020. I reached my retirement age on August 6th of 2020, and I wasn't going to retire and let them think they won. So I stayed about six months longer than I had to, and then I retired. So, uh, and, and most recently, a couple of when I retired, they, I had six lawsuits going. They they sued me for people injured during the riots, even though I had no role. And they just wrapped up the other day, the last of the six. So, yeah, you're named in lawsuits for riots. You're named in lawsuits for George Floyd. And you're the union president, right? You're not making any of these sure. decisions or, or anything tactically, operationally, for anything in the police Nothing. department. And it's just... Like I said, it's really amazing to me, and there's people listening to this, they're saying, well, that can't happen to me because I'm this or I'm that, and I think you're the epitome, like, you're the union dude, like, you're not even on the streets, and you're in the middle of this, and I love how you dealt 
with the cancel culture, Bob. I try to tell people this. Like, if you run around and you try to lead based on I'm scared of being canceled or I'm scared they're going to ruin my reputation or talk bad about me, you don't need to be in leadership. Because the way you right. deal with that is, first off, you need to expect it because we live in a society where when you do the right thing, they're going to come after you. That's how, that's how evil wins, by scaring people to all just either be apathetic or come to their side. And we have a lot of apathy in law enforcement leadership. Or, and when it does happen, I call it the Bob Crow way. You just double down and keep doing the right thing. And, it's, and yeah, it's not easy. It's, it's painful. It's difficult. But here you are, Bob. You're fully retired with a pension. Your wife wrote, I mean, man, I'm, I'm not upset, but she's got twice the reviews I got on Amazon. My book's been out for like four years. But, hey, I digress. I mean, it just means people want to hear the message. And Bob gave the title of that book. I'm going to give it to you again because if you're listening, you need to get this book. And listen, everybody out there, even in law enforcement, thinks they know everything about George Floyd. And I'm amazed to me, it amazes me, how what you don't know. And everybody that I've given this book to, has come back to me and said, well, I'll just tell you what they said. My wife informed me that she listens to these, so I'll have to ask for my forgiveness. But when they, they always come back to me, this is their words, not mine, and they say, holy shit, I cannot believe what's in these pages. And I said, yeah, I know. That's how apathetic we have been in this profession. The name of the book is They're Lying, The Media, The Left, and The Death of George Floyd. Now, Bob, real quick, my wife listens. She kind of got on to me the other day because she says I cracked too many jokes about her. Just tell my wife how what a loving, caring mother, wife, and great person she is real quick before we move on. <laughs> oh, yeah, I cannot say enough good about your wife, Travis. <laughs> I, I totally, I totally agree. And, and you've, and, and I mean, this, you have to, this should be mandatory reading. And so I'm just really, really amazed. And here you are, you're getting sued for these things because they've, they've set this in motion. And talk to us about, because that settlement just came down, talk to us about the settlement in that case, because when I saw this, it made my day. I thought, man, I wish I had this kind of street cred as Bob Crow, but no, you own it, you have it, and it's got to be great for you. Just tell us the settlement in this case, Bob. Well, first, let me say, too, you have been a tremendous help to my wife, Liz, uh, on writing that book, and, and you were the inspiration. When I retired, you got a hold of me and said, hey, you got to write a book, and I'm like, I hardly can read books, let alone write. Fortunately, my wife has the skill set for that. But um, uh, and, and you were inspirational, and I want to thank you for that. Um, but it, it's good to be gone. But so what happened recently was I had activists, you know, in, including one of them that led the one major protest at our house, uh, Nakima Levy Armstrong is her name. She's been the local rabble rouser activist her whole life. That's how they make their money. Um, she was one of the final lawsuits that were going. And basically they said through my um, leadership uh, th that I was, I encouraged officers to, to use brutality and target media members and things like that. It, it all could have been further from the truth. Um, I have been removed from any policymaking. Back in my day, I did, I did uh, supervise a few small-scale riots that we had when I was a patrol lieutenant, when I was a SWAT uh, supervisor. I, I had roles in that. And guess what? We never got sued. There were not uh, significant injuries and, and the disturbances were quelled when we ran them the way they should have been. This one was a colossal failure. And they wanted to say that I've been an imp, uh, you know, was, was a resistant to change and all this. And, and my answer back to that is I negotiated eight different contracts with the city, none of them going to arbitration. 
they were all negotiated, agreed upon, and signed off on by various leaders, whether it was the mayor, the chief, council members. They signed off on these contracts. And they want to say that I was uh, resisted and fought change. All of it is untrue. Uh, but on the lawsuits, they let them go. Um, could have all been dismissed on summary judgment, but what we had was complete cowardly spineless judges that did not act on rule of law they didn't consider the law that i had no role in this they themselves were afraid of being attacked by the, the left and the cancel culture they allowed these suits to proceed for two years the city did not indemnify me and this is what's funny they said i was acting in my own capacity as a police union leader and I had no policies or decisions or not, not in control of tactics at all. They allowed these suits to continue and make their way through without dismissing. And we came to a settlement agreement just to bring them to an end on the last ones. And their big takeaway, they, there was nothing monetary. They wanted money. We said, no way. We'll, we'll fight it. We'll fight you for sanctions. But they were, <laughs> they thought I was the head of the snake. And they wanted to make sure that I was never going to police or be in, in, a, in a leadership uh a position in police agencies. So they went after three counties. They said uh, Hennepin County, which is Minneapolis, Ramsey County, which is St. Paul, and then for whatever reason, Anoka County. And I think they thought I lived in Anoka County. <laughs> and their attorneys, and it was the Minnesota ACLU, is, was a plaintiff in this, too. They, they represented uh, several of these plaintiffs. So I was sued by the American Civil Liberties Union, which is the irony of that in itself. They're supposed to protect free speech, and they went after me for utilizing it. But um, the lawsuits continued through. And the settlement was that I could not police in any of those cities. But I live in Washington County, and that was not included. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll run for Washington County Sheriff now and come out of retirement if that's the case, or or seek a command position from our current sheriff there. Those That leaves the door open for this, should I decide to do it. But... It came out of that, uh, restricted from those three counties in the metro area and restricted from being on our Peace Officer Standard and Training Board, which I've never had a desire to be a part of anyway. So that was their only takeaway and gain. And we were just going to be quiet about it. But once the, the ink was dry on this, they ran to the press and the local media here just ate it up. It made it. It made all the uh, it made all the, the news channels It made the front page of the newspaper. Uh, ironically, on the day that uh, President, former President Trump was indicted. So we were both on the front page of our local Star Tribune together again just yesterday. So that's where all this came to light. Um, they were touting as a victory that I cannot be a, a sworn uh, police officer in those three counties, and I truly could care less. And that's the only reason we signed off is this was a, a drain on, on the funding from the Police Federation to defend me through this this long. You know, attorney's fees add up. And we just wanted to bring it to a close. Well, that's not exactly uh, playing with the sharpest drawers and the knives there, Bob. I mean, they <laughs> ban you uh, from being a police officer. I mean, because let's face it, you are the 25-year-old tactical stud as you always were, and you're running the whole show in all those three <laughs> counties, right? Uh, and, uh, and they're all proud of it. But you don't even live in those counties. You were never probably you were never going to police in those counties anyway. And you said that you may run for sheriff. I think your quote here in Alpha News was, I would be a Minnesota version of Florida's Grady Judd. So – are you going to announce your run for sheriff right here on the Courageous Leadership Podcast? Because we're going to 
make this happen. If I've got to take out a second mortgage on my home to make you <laughs> the Minnesota Grady Judd, it's going to happen. Well, Grady Judd is a great inspiration from Florida. Um, uh, there's a lot. There's so, several others like him in Florida in the, in the conservative state that it's become. But uh, so here's the reality of it: we have a, a very good sheriff in Washington County, and he just got uh, elected to a. Well, he was unopposed for a four-year term. So he just started his four-year term. So I got some time to think about this, um, but it doesn't prohibit me uh, um, from taking the point of position, maybe in charge of uh, patrol or in charge of the SWAT team there or something like that, um, to ensure that Washington County stays safe and doesn't turn into the uh, crime-ridden place that, that Hennepin County, certainly where Minneapolis certainly is, where Hennepin County, Ramsey County have just, crime has been skyrocketing. Um, so I've got a lot of time to think about it because uh, Sheriff Starry just got a, another four-year term, but this doesn't prohibit me from taking appointed positions and maybe uh, maybe the door is open there and who knows maybe his intentions are to re this term which would leave it wide open and uh, we got a conservative community here and a good sheriff's department so it certainly gives me something to think about well I i'm not going to try to predict the future bob or i'd be in las vegas right now but based on what you've done in the past you're probably going to get involved in law enforcement even if you weren't planning on it just to just to troll these complete idiotic people that need to just have it thrown back at them and it kind of leads me to kind of the final thing i want to talk about they've they've made a living off using you bob right they've made a living off blaming you for all of their problems and this, at some point minneapolis is down to 500 officers which is unbelievable when you think about the crime that's going on there and what is about to happen there i can't imagine how much worse it can get but it certainly is going to get much much worse and the problems are only going to exacerbate. They're going to, there's going to be more and more problems. It's going to be on a next level type deal. Now they've banned you from being in, in law enforcement. So, you know, they've told the whole public, he can't be a problem anymore. What are they right. going to do now, Bob? Because these problems are going to continue because bad leadership's bad leadership, whether Bob is here or there, you weren't part of the problem to begin with, but they used you. Now they can't use you. Are they just going to continue to try to convince people that the legacy of Bob Crow is here for the next hundred years and every problem yeah. that we have is Bob? What do you, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, pretty soon that, that argument is going to run out because, you know, they're getting to the point now that I didn't work around, you know, I've been gone for two years. My prior six, I was in the Federation office full time. So I wasn't in a leadership position. They're running out of people that I even used to work with and supervise that could say they were influenced by me. Um, a lot of left to go to other agencies, a lot of retired, a lot of retired early. <clears throat> so I, I don't know what they're going to do, Travis. So they're they're going to be out of solutions or out, out of the blame game of people to blame. Um, and and when, when you think about the crime here, you know, in, in 1995, we had, they, they nicknamed us Murderapolis because that was the highest year of homicide that spiked like a, a third again, more than any other, uh, uh, murder rate. We had 97 murders in 1995. Well, in 2020, we had uh, 82. And then in 2021, it jumped up to 97. And last year, it was in around 90. So we have had the highest three consecutive years ever in the city of Minneapolis with murders. Um, never have we, we, they've always been below 60 in things in, in the past. So Crime is unprecedented, violent crime particularly, murders, shootings, carjackings. It's completely out of control. 
the department is minimized to just do they can't even do perform core services all the pro and you, and you know this that the gun violence and stuff is stopped by proactive police work and that's taking the guns off the street by making stops doing investigative stops suspicious vehicle and person stops none of that is occurring anymore sadly the police have become like firefighters here they sit and they wait and you know as a street boss you know this you used to give your guys a kick in the butt to get out there and do proactive work lead by example encourage and back up proactive work that's where you're real that that's what what curbs crime and none of that is going on in minneapolis that's how sad is that yeah and the community is really who suffers and i have to think that at some point the community is going to maybe recognize the scam maybe not they've been brainwashed for so long but you your crime your violent crime is at all-time high but i have to imagine your population has dropped quite a bit because anybody that could get out already has got out correct 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 the ones that can't afford to leave and stuff uh are gone and and the city it's it's sad because the city you know my first few years there when the crack wave hit in the, in the late 80s early 90s i thought i'd never live here and the next 25 years, I kicked myself because the cops really went out and worked hard, made that city a safe place to, to, to be, to live, to work, to visit. And uh, in the last few years, it's just gone. They've, they've reversed everything we did in the prior 25 years. Yeah, um, yeah, it's I, sad. I don't the wanna, good people are fleeing. I don't want to dismiss really, obviously, what's happened to you, Bob, is tragic. What's happened to... Uh, uh, you know, obviously it is, but obviously you're standing on your feet and you're doing great. But what I really, my, my thoughts and prayers really, and I want our audience to think about this is the citizens that live there, the citizens that rely on law enforcement to keep them safe, that relies on evil to stay away from them. The leadership that they have voted in, the leadership they have trusted to protect them has failed them at a level that I think this is probably the the epitome in America. Like I think everyone should be watching Minneapolis for the next several years about what is about to occur. I have a prediction, Bob, but I want to hear yours first. What do you think five to ten years down the road Minneapolis is like? You know, I hate to say it, Travis, but I don't see it getting any better because – uh, they they have elected this this last round of elections. They they elected more from the progressive left, and they they just implemented new uh, restrictions on, on on policing. They they you know they don't want uh, proactive stops made at all now. They're they're coming out and they're they're changing policy and restricting law enforcement actions more and more. Um, and and they doubled down in the last election, even at the state level. Um, they for the first time in many years, the Democrats have control of the Senate, the House, and the governor's uh, seat. So they doubled down. And if after the last election didn't, you, you would think it would have gone the other way, but not in Minnesota. There, there's just pockets. You look at Minnesota follows the California roadmap, and look what's happening there, you yeah, know? Yeah, I think one or two things are going to happen. I think you will have a police department of 500 negative you know three four five hundred people but they won't be law enforcement right there'll be people that go pick up bodies take reports there's not going to be actual any enforcement happening you'll literally have a purge there in the city or or the people will have to do this make this decision the people will finally get upset enough to where the you may have a sheriff's department 
kind of running your city, right? Like patrolling your city or state police. If a governor there in the state ever gets in that has a com- has a brain, they'll recognize what's going on in their big cities and, and basically implement that. That's what you're seeing in other small pockets of this country. You're seeing yep. you're seeing uh, cities contracting with sheriff's departments because they don't have enough people because what they they've done something similar to Minneapolis and nobody's going to work there. You can't make a job impossible and expect anybody to work there. It's kind of a side door, Bob. To saying abolish police wasn't popular. I think you even lost a politician that said that, right? So now they're smart. They're like, we can't say it, but we can do it these other ways. And so they're sort of coming out a side door to actually abolish police. And, and of course, the community is who suffers. And But they'll at some point, if you want the city of Minneapolis to actually be a civilized city where there's a business and people want to shop and do things and, like, people show up, uh, you're going to have to decide to have public safety and 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 if they keep gutting the city police department they're going to have to rely on that public safety elsewhere you're right you're absolutely right uh, and yeah this is a city council that that moved for many of us stood up for defunding the police and you reap what you sow yeah it's just it's just going to be fascinating because they're never going to take take the take the blame for that they're never going to say it's the their policies what they do so it's going to be really fascinating to see where they where they place the blame. I mean, it's ran by Democrats, uh, you know, ran by Democrats, ran by Democratic policies. Uh, so they can't blame Republicans. They can't blame Trump. He's not even president anymore. He doesn't affect states anyway, like, like Minneapolis, because they're run by Democrats at state level. Bob Crow is now banned from being a police officer. So he's, he's so it's, it's really going to be fascinating to see how they justify this, because even with the media censorship there, which I'm sure they're not reporting the crime to, to the people or all the crime to people, they don't, they don't recognize it. At some point, they're going to figure it out. They're going to know that their city is a literally a war zone, and the public's going to want answers. And so it's going to be interesting to see. I'm going to, I, uh, like I said, I, it's going to be a fascinating, Bob. And, and Bob, I, I just cannot thank you enough for all you did for all those years. I think the city of Minneapolis has lost a treasure. Uh, you, you were, before I even sort of started saying this term courageous police leadership, I mean, I would look at you and just go, what is that? What's in that guy's DNA? How is he doing this? How can I be like, you know, it's not be like Mike, it's be like Bob, right? That should be the slogan. And, and I have to say there, you're like a unicorn, Bob, you know, you don't see unicorns very often, but when you see them, they look like a, a muscular guy eating burgers with a mustache, Bob Crow. Uh, and we need more of them. And I, I'm just hopeful that people can understand why this is important. And that's what we just talked about. Look where the city is now going. And it's, that's what happens when you start this downward spiral. And of course, Minneapolis is further down than most cities, but Bob, I, I want to just, I know I've think I've thanked you in articles. I've thanked you in person. I want to thank you here for all you did for our profession. I think it's a model for what, uh, more leaders should be. All you tried to do there was to give your community safety, was to defend the rights of officers, the, the same due process rights that every employee had in America has. You tried to do the right thing with, with really horrific circumstances, and you never backed down, and uh, forever you'll have my respect, sir. Thank you, Travis, and the feeling is certainly mutual, my friend, and I greatly appreciate you having me on today. Bob Crow, thank you so much. And if you're listening, thank you for being here. And just remember, lead on and stay courageous. Thank you for listening to Courageous Leadership with Travis Yates. We invite you to join other courageous leaders at travisyates.org.